0: Welcome to Rain Christian Church audio sermons. Thank you for tuning in. May you be blessed. Last week we spoke about, or I spoke about the cup that Jesus prayed for God to pass him by, which was, I showed you in the Old Testament to the New Testament, that it was the raft of God not so much so the crucifixion or the, the cross that was laid waiting him, but it was more about the wrath and the anger of God that was to be poured out upon him, and that was what he was so anxious about. Yes, the cross was one thing, but the other, the, the, the portion that startled him most was the anger of God and how that was poured upon Jesus so that you and I can no longer need to live under the wrath of God. So we, we, God does not make us sick to teach us something. He does not put us in bed to, to, to teach us something. He does not make, bring every, anything bad across or over us to teach us something. So we don't need to fear God anymore. The wrath that is there towards sin is now pointed or poured out on Jesus. And while I was preparing for this, I just realized, but you know what? There's a lot of times that you and I, that we are cross with God. And I know it's a controversial topic. <laughs> but I'm going to try and give my point of view And I want to give you permission this morning to differ from me. Because this is not theology that is set in stone. I believe that as we journey with God, we pass by points or marks where we experience this differently. Yeah. Let's start. Wally, come here, my friend. Yeah, you're in trouble, dude. Come on, come on. And I sold you out in front of everybody here this morning. <laughs> 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 Do you think that will help? <laughs> I don't need to steal my box then. Right. But you box no. Yeah, but I'm going to
1: swear. I?
0: See I'm Yeah, no. Is it heavy? Not yet. Not yet. I'm just kidding, <laughs> Okay, let's carry on. You will no, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> we serve an awesome God. I remember there was a Pink Floyd song. I listened to it way back. So. You're cheating. <laughs> Why are you shaking so much, Wally? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. Keep that in mind. We'll get back to that. There was, old, there was a Pink Floyd song. That was all about being comfortably numb. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this week, when I was preparing, that song came to me a couple of times. And I, and I realized that that is what society is doing with us. But not only society, the church world even more. Mm-hmm. See, in society, you need to, to, to be able to balance your emotions, otherwise you're not normal. Mm-hmm. So I'm more normal than Regine, so take note of that. Um, but but there, there are certain places where society will tell you that it is okay to let go. You know? And I'm talking of all aspects of emotions. When you're at a club, it is okay to let go. It is okay to go ballistic. It is okay to be excessively happy. But don't be excessively happy at work. Don't be excessively happy at life. It's okay to be excessively happy at a rugby game. If you wouldn't, <laughs> and you are allowed to be excessively sad when you lose, <laughs> but just don't be excessively happy at church. Now, it's 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 if we were created in the image of God. And he created us with emotions. And I see that these emotions, when, when I read through the Old Testaments, I see that God's got emotions. I see that Jesus had emotions when he was walking this, this earth. So I believe that God created me with emotions. And I believe that even the emotions that we think or been taught that we are not allowed to feel, I think God even created that. Anger, hate. Because I need to understand what it feels like to dislike something so much because that's how God feels about sin. Amen. That's true. I need to know what love feels like so that I and you will understand and will know what it feels like when He tells me I love you. Because I can only know love if I look at Him. Because he is love. And then we all know that Satan comes and he distorts certain emotions as well. Where he lies to us to what love is. But don't you think he sometimes lied to us about what hatred is or what anger is? I think we, especially when it comes to the church world, we are so scared of emotions because nobody taught us how to handle it. Because we want to keep the norm when we come to church. When there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it's even difficult to let go. Because we are so scared of what people will think. We are so scared what we feel inside when we feel happy. We are so scared what we, what people might think and we and it and it creates such tension within us when we are sad. Even at church. And I thought this is supposed to be a safe place. You know, and, and if, we, if we come and we disqualify certain emotions because, or, 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 or if we come and we disqualify certain emotions that's directed to one another, then we definitely disqualify certain emotions that's directed to God. One thing is anger, for instance. We, we, we disqualify anger to one another. Oh, you're not allowed to be crossed. Isn't that what Paul said, something different? Quoted from the Old Testament, be angry, but do not let the sun set on your anger. And then he added on, and he said, but do not sin when you're angry. So anger is not sin. It is what is born or birth out of that that is sin. But anger itself is not sin. It's an emotion that we experience. And that emotion is there to show us that something is up. We'll get to it, Nana. Something is up. I need to handle something. Okay. Now, if God created us to have emotions towards one another, for sure there will be emotions towards God as well. Positive and negative. There's times where I feel... So loved by God. And there's times where I do feel alone. Does not mean I am alone. But I feel alone. It's two different realities. To feel alone does not mean it is the truth. The truth is I will never leave you nor forsake you. But the perceived truth of the moment is that I feel alone. It's a perceived truth. It's an emotional truth. It's just not necessarily the truth. And I think that is where we as Christians, it's so difficult sometimes to, 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 to understand what we are experiencing. So it is easier to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Because then I don't need to, to handle anything. I don't need to analyze anything. I don't even need to need to have, I don't even have to understand myself because I'm comfortably numb. And that is so much easier to handle than with what is inside. Somebody once said, anger is an intense emotional state induced by displeasure that is very academic to what i feel when i'm angry (laughs) so you can put your own definition to what you think anger is because i do believe there's different layers or facets or call it what you like to anger put your definition what do you think is anger? Anger towards God. And the first question is, is it right? Is it wrong? <laughs> Am I allowed to be angry towards God? And I think the question is, do you really question that? Or you just feel it? <laughs> because it doesn't matter how much you permit yourself not to feel it, you feel it. I think the more is. Res- Question, the, the better and responsible question is, how do I f- handle it? And how do I contain it? Or not, you're not even containing it, but how do I handle it when I do have negative feelings towards God? Because we all have it. The problem is that I see is when, it, when, when we come to church, it is, is that thing of you're not making it. You're not allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to feel that towards God. He's God and He's sovereign and He is the Lord and how dare you feel that way. How dare you. That is what I see in the church. And and I see this, this disapproval all the time but yet we just add up and we add up. And it's like like while he's holding the brick, the first time I asked him, is it heavy? He said, no, but oh, oh, oh. and then he changed his mind very quickly and said, no, no, it, it's getting heavy. And eventually he just couldn't keep it up anymore. And then once he can't keep it up anymore, all that we do is shout at him and say, you better do it, dude. You better do it. And how many times do we walk with, with a slight feeling of discomfort towards God? a slight feeling of disappointment, a slight feeling of anger, but because we do not handle it, because we don't have a place where we can voice it, that slight thing, that small little thing, becomes heavier and heavier and heavier over time. Now, this brick thing that made me think back when I was in the army where we had to hold the rifle. I mean, it's, I can't even remember what the thing weighed, but it was, and I remember holding that thing where first it's your arm shaking, eventually your legs, everything shake, but you dare not let that thing down. Otherwise, they make everybody run, and you don't want them to run because of you, so you just hold on for as long as you could. And isn't this what we do at church? Because we do not allow people and we do not teach people to respond in a responsible manner. It's rather know how dare you than to allow what we feel. So I hope today what what I'm going (laughs) to bring to you will be liberating in the sense of, of what we all feel from time to time. We all know the sports person, the golfer, that cricket, that get cross and break the clubs over the legs or throw the thing in the, in the pond or whatever. They say that there was this one golfer one day that went playing golf, him and his buddies, And he had a very bad day, and it was apparently a true story. They said it happened in Worcester. So this guy had a very bad day playing, and and he asked the caddy, what, what do you call it, club should I use to get this ball over the pond? And the caddy looked at him and he said, Master, I think you should use an old ball. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was a time where he played and... And he chipped this ball and it went out into wherever. So this golfer looked at the caddy and said to him, "Come and fetch the ball. And he said, master, where that ball went, nobody has been before. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that a lot of times we feel that same way. Where I am now, nobody has been there before. I am alone nobody understands me because nobody talks about it because nobody wants to be condemned and because of we, because we do not have a place a safe a place of safety in the church, in the body of Christ anymore because we do not have a place where we can be authentic and real before God and in front of one another and tell each other, listen, I'm hurting. I'm actually past the place of hurt. I'm actually flipping angry now. Because I don't have that. I am being isolated. And when I'm isolated, I'm insulated. And then walls go up around me. And I carry this brick all by myself. And I dare not talk about it. And the moment I feel I'm alone and uniquely alone, that is exactly where Satan wants us to be. That's exactly where he wants us. Isn't that what happened to Elijah? After he slain all those, ba- those um, Baal priests, one lady let him know, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> One lady, but he killed thousands of priests. I'm going to kill you. And then the Bible says a specific thing. It says that he took his servant to the, to the border of the desert. And he left him there and he went alone into the desert. And that is so prophetic to what happens with us. And that is that we leave people that we care about, we leave people that we are part of the family, we leave them at the border of our desert, because I dare not take them there, because if they don't judge me, they will leave me. And I' rather leave them behind before they leave me. You know what happened with Elijah in the desert? He sat in, the, in, a, in, a, in a cave, and he cursed the day that he was born. And God had to take him to a place where he basically recalled him back to ministry again. So do not believe the lie. Do not believe that you are alone. There's a study that I did at Western Reserve University. And I said that what is interesting is that Where is that now? Um, Anger isn't an indication that someone is turning his or her back on God. People can be angry at God while still feeling love and respect towards God. Isn't that awesome? They had to do a scientific study to come to that conclusion. Really? They could have asked me. (laughs) Because I know that feeling, where there's certain areas in our lives where we do not trust God anymore because of what happened. There's certain areas where we are angry with God, but there's other areas that we are fine. So I can worship God, but the moment he or someone step into that area, then what are you doing? Can you relate to what I'm saying? Okay, the study said that 62% of people on occasion were, were admittedly angry at God. People seem to achieve more peace with God as they grow older. Is that true? <laughs> okay. <laughs> 87% students reported feelings negatively emotions about God after a personal setback or loss. And then it's interesting that both groups they did this study with with believers and unbelievers. And it's interesting that both groups had positive feelings towards God and negative feelings of, towards God, at the same time, both believers and unbelievers. Um, according to this study, even atheists admitted to hate God. <laughs> there is no God that I hate Him. <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway. Now, that was just to, to show you the question, am I, am I the only one? That's a study that showed that you're not alone. Scientifically proven, if you don't want to believe us here today. And then, when you look at scripture, <laughs> I actually this morning when I read through the scriptures again, I was filled with tears. Because it was so real, because we tend to clinically read the Bible. We read the Bible to gain information, but we do not read Scripture for what it is. Or it just me? Psalm 89, verse 46. "How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever?" How long will your wrath burn like fire? Is it just me or is there a bit of frustration? Or should I read it? How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Depends on how you read it. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your raft burn like fire? I think that was the intention that he wrote it with. It's get, it gets worse. Psalm 44 23. Wake up! Why are you asleep, Lord? Get up! Don't cast off forever. Why are you hiding your face? Why are you ignoring our affliction and oppression? Does that sound familiar? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I struggle in my soul at night, have sorrow in my heart during the day? How long will my enemies rise up against me? Look at me. Answer me, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. If that is not frustration, anger, and displeasing feelings towards God, then I don't know what it is. Doesn't that show that the Bible is a book with real people? With real feelings? With real struggles? Now, do you know who wrote those? David who was a man that was called a man after God's own heart. A man that God loved. When you ask the the praise and worship team, why do you think God loved David so much? They will all tell you it's because he knew how to write psalms and worship. That's mine. I believe he was a man after God's own heart because he was real. When he messed up, he broke down and said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins, but I beg you, do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. When he was angry, it's like, Lord, where are you? Just wake up. Just wake up. See me. Don't you see my enemies? Here I am. Just wake up. And then when I was happy... It was like, "Whoa! you're awesome, you're great. Yeah. Clap all your hands. All your people shouted a voice of triumph. That was who David was. Definitely not comfortably numb. I think he was so in tune with his emotions, and he used that to connect with God. And I'm not saying we should have the up and downs. What I'm saying is, it's normal to connect with God through our feelings, what we experience at the moment. It's one last one. So we had David, we had Jonah now, and it says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said? When I was when I was still at home, but the Lord replied, "Have you any right to be angry?" See, there's a flip side of the coin as well. <laughs> so Jonah came to a place where he said to the Lord, "See, look, I told you this was going to happen when I was still at home." And he was angry. God just reminded him and said, Do you have any right? He didn't say, I'm going to hit you with a lightning bolt. (laughs) He asked him a question Do you have any right? Job, it's like, I want to, I want, I'm looking for God because I want to go to his courts because I want to plea my case. I want to see him. And then you see Job where, where um, let's do that now. we we'll speak about that now. How can I let go of this anger that I have towards God? Because it's one thing to feel the anger. It's one thing to experience it. But there's also something about, how do I direct this anger now? I hear that David said, Lord, here I am. I feel this way and voice it towards God. So I believe it's okay. But how do I now handle this? The first one, I believe, is admit that you are angry. Admit that you're angry. Isn't that what David did? What Jonah did. Lord, I'm angry now. I told you this is gonna happen. Lord, where are you? Just wake up. This is what he said. I'm angry. See, the, the thing about anger is like it's like a dashboard of a car. Now, when you think of anger, the first thing you think about is the ref counter, eh? But there's also another one that that, that shows you the speed. There's different lights that pop up that tell you, listen, your car is now running out of petrol. You can ignore that light. And you know what will happen if you ignore that light? Ask Twinette. We ignored it one day. She sat in the car, waited for me. I had to walk to get petrol. (laughs) (laughs) because I was a driver. (laughs) So if you, and I learned a lesson that if you ignore that gauge, it brings discomfort in your life. (laughs) In more than one way. Yeah. And then there's another gauge, and that is the heat gauge. If you ignore that gauge, it brings not only discomfort for weeks for your car to be fixed, But it's also a very costly financial discomfort. Then there's another gauge or a light, which is the oil light. When you ignore that light, you need another engine. And in a way, emotions in our lives are like the lights on the dashboard like the gauges on the dashboard. So the moment I get angry towards God, towards whoever, there's a light popping up that says, and the question is, why am I angry? Not, should I be angry? Am I allowed to be angry? Why am I angry? And the moment that we go and we go and do introspection, and remember it's easy to blame shift because it's always the other person, it was the the woman that God gave Adam to the woman it was the snake. You all know the story, the snake had no legs to stand on. So that's where the trial ended. So when you go through this, don't take the shortcut ask the question, why am I angry? And looking at yourself, why am I angry? Because there's a principle and that is that nobody can make you happy and nobody can make you cross or sad unless you allow it. We can talk about that Remember that principle. That when the light goes on, you ask the question, why? And deal with it. Because if you do not deal with it, it brings not only discomfort, the engine needs to be changed if we don't. Tell God all the things you are feeling unfolded, and everything. That's point two. I grew up in a very African home. At first, my mum and dad were not religious, and then they, become, they got saved. And I thank God for that, that they got, do get got saved, or did get saved. But I remember that there were certain things that you do not talk about. There are certain questions you didn't ask. So in a very Afrikaans culture, it was you don't question God, you don't ask questions, and you dare not get cross at him. Then I was 15 and my dad passed away. And I was cross. I can still remember sitting in, 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 in my room and, and somebody walked in and said to me, Um, I'm sorry for your loss, I feel what you feel. And even today when I hear those words, I cannot explain to you what anger pops up in me. Because I cannot imagine what you experience when you go through loss or lost something or someone. And that's what I felt as a 15-year-old when this grown-up stood in front of me and told me those words. I directed my anger and my hate towards him. I didn't say anything. I just turned around and I went to lay in my bed. And it was like, just get out of my room. I grew up. I was in ministry already. I had two kids already. Whenever I did a funeral, I would bore my eyes out. If I knew the person or not. I'm the pastor. I want to be the strong one. I'm doing the funeral ceremony. But I'm the one crying the most. Laka. <laughs> Grayfield. So it's like, Lord, what's happening? And I could never figure out why I was so emotional, why I, I, I would break down afterwards when I'm all alone because of the intense emotions that I felt and, and had to keep back because it was not somebody close to me that passed away. It was somebody, 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 somebody's family that I just never met. And then I remember one day my dad grew up on a, on a fa- what do you call it, a fa- farm that was in, in their family for generations and there's a a family graveyard. So my dad was buried there. And the first time after my dad passed away, like I said, I had two kids already, I went to his grave to show them the graveyard. Remember, it it, it was the first time that I went to my dad's grave, after he passed away. From 15 years old till don't know how old I was. And I remember that day at the stage asking them to go and sit in the car because I wanted to be alone by my dad's grave. I remember sitting there and that anger started rising again, anger towards my dad because he left me when I was 15 and I gave it to him. I told him that. My rational mind said he had no choice. My emotions said he left me. I gave it to him. I told him everything unfolded. I wanted to tell him as if he was there in person. And then a peace came over me. You know what was the next thing I felt? An intense anger towards God. And I gave it to him, unfolded. I told him exactly what I felt, as if he was standing there in person. And I raised my voice as a good Christian shouldn't do. I did everything as a good Christian shouldn't do. I did everything wrong I was taught. Do You know what happened when I walked out that graveyard and I pulled that gate close behind me? I was free. I was free. I think it is a place where we as Christians and need to get to is that place where we can come before our dad and say, "Listen, Lord, this is how I feel." Unfaltered. <laughs> I, I remember my kids shouting at me, I hate you, slam the door closed. And I think, yeah, right. (laughs) Walk off, because I'm the adult. I know, Moose, I've been there. I know the emotions. It's just that moment that you're angry that you hate me. No, no, you're going to feel better. Don't you think our dad up in heaven that created us, that is the father of all fathers, the dad of all dads, that he does not understand? Like, yeah, right. This is how you feel now. I know you love me. See, this is what I learned that day when I closed that gate behind me. The God I believe in is not so fragile that you hurt him by being angry at him or so petty that he will hold it against you for being upset with him. What I learned that day was nothing that I say could make God less God. Nothing I could say will will bring him down his throne. Nothing I could say will change anything in terms of who he is. But you know what it changed and who it changed? Me. Me. Because for the first time, I had a safe place where I could say exactly what I wanted to say, unfiltered. And it was between me and my father. Nobody knows what I said that day. Nobody ever will. I can't even remember most of it. And it stayed there when I walked out. So I want to, isn't that what David did? Wake up, Lord. Are you asleep? <laughs> that's unfaltered. Come on, that's not church language. <laughs> they don't even read those stuff in the church. <laughs> and definitely not with emotional voice. Unfolded. Thank you, Lord. Three, the one that we also don't talk about in church nowadays anymore, in the modern church, repentance. That's crucial. See, when it, when it came to, to Job, it says, Job, Job, like I said, came to make the statement and said, if I could only find God because I want to plea my case in front of his courts. Where is he? I want to find him. Where is he? And then he starts chapter after chapter after chapter asking questions. And then at a stage, God says, Okay, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me start asking questions. And then God started asking questions, and Job could not answer one of them. And in that process, Job came to this conclusion. 42 verse 3, you ask, who is this that obscure my counsel without knowing? Sure, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. See, Job came to a place where he realized that he knew a part. He thought he knew, but he knew a part. And he had to repent from that. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. But see, it was a process to get there. Isn't this the classic one with Habakkuk as well? Habakkuk. This is how Habakkuk started off. How many chapters? Three chapters in the book. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? And then we see this whole book of Habakkuk. Him asking questions. Lord, where are you? Look at what is happening to Israel. Why don't you save them? Why don't you reach out and touch them and help them? Why don't you destroy the enemies? And then you see how God answered him. And it's like, Ekwistani. And then he keeps on asking questions. And then a second time, God gives him an answer. And only then the penny drops. And only after the penny dropped, he could come to the conclusion that we all use to manipulate one another with. I heard, and my, lips, uh, my heart poured, my lips quivered. That's what, I, what he experienced, the whole experience that he had, and then he wrote these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Take note. That was not the first or the second, or the third verse of the book. That was one of the last ones. That was after he had a journey with God. After he had to work through certain things. After he asked questions and God answered him, did not understand it, kept on asking questions, after the penny dropped, then only he could say, Even though my garage is empty and there is no car in it, even though there is no money in my bank, I will rejoice in Him. See, the problem is we as Christians put that in the beginning. We say, I don't care how you feel, but this is how you should feel. And we deny each other the journey with God. We deny each other that. Instead of allowing one another and to support one another, going through the process to get to the place where I can say, wow, now I get it. Now I get it. Now his revelation is my revelation, what Job said. I heard with my ears, but now I've seen him with my eyes. I heard what you said, but now I experience it. See, that is a process. That is the end of the journey, not the beginning. And then the last one, prepare for God's healing. And that again, I believe, is a process as well. Depends on the depth of hurt, the depth of loss. That place where you start to learn to trust God again. I remember when, you all know that I've been divorced. If you didn't know, then you know now. I remember there was a time when I proposed to Nat that I stood before God and I walked that grotto beach up and down because certain things happened on that beach and I had to walk that beach again. And I remember walking that beach and shouting at God, speaking to God, how can I trust you again with my marriage? If my first one failed and I trusted you, how can I trust you again? And I'm telling you, it's a process. It's not something that just happened overnight. It's a process to where you can come and sit before God and say, Lord, I truly trust you now. But it was not there in the beginning, it was not there. The sad fact is, I trusted her for the second marriage. But I could not trust God in that area. You understand what I'm saying? I trusted her more, proposing to her, going into a marriage, trusting her more than I trusted God. And it was a process of healing. Why did you come and say, Lord, here I am? And allow him To heal me by continuously say, Lord, this is what I feel. Why do I feel it? And repentance. And then to sit in his presence. There's something that I learned from God, and that is... (laughs) There's... um, How do I say it? I know what it's in my mind always when I do it. There's a a time-wasting exercise that is so precious. And that is just to sit in the presence of God and do nothing. When you look at me doing that, you would think, man, he's wasting time like you do not understand. To me, it is just to sit in God's presence, to soak in, without saying anything, to become aware of what is within and what is happening between him and me. And I've had awesome experiences with that where where the presence of God would fall in the room that even my dog starts reacting. That even my dog realized that something in the atmosphere just changed now and his whole behavior changed. And I believe it is sometimes time that we start Practicing the presence of God. Allowing Him to heal us in His presence. I'm not saying we should not go and see counselors. We should. But a lot of times we put our trust in the counselors and not on God. It's a lot of time. it's a cop out because I don't want to handle what is within. I, I, I want them to do it. But the moment I sit with God in His presence and just let go. something happens that, you, that I cannot explain. It's like washing dirt away with soap. And it dissolves. And you don't know how the soap works, but it happened. And I want to challenge you with this. Go this week and enter into an organized time waste. Organize your time to waste it. Because that's how people see it. Just go and sit in his presence. Don't say nothing we as Pentecostal people say too much. Just go and say, sit down and say, Lord, here I am. I am disappointed. And then you shut up. And you just sit there and become aware of what you experience. And may God in that moment bring you healing. And it's not going to take one session, one sitting. Believe me. Sometimes it takes a couple. But I can promise you, I can promise you, every time you stand up, something would have changed. Because I do believe that my God is a savior. I do believe that my God is a healer. I do believe that he's a provider. And I do believe that he loves me more than my mind can ever tell me how. And I'm not special. So I know he loves you more than you can understand. So, I want to tell you this morning if you identified with some of the things David wrote, you're okay. You are normal. If you haven't been there and if you are not there, bear with the ones that are there. You are not better, you are not worse. But allow them to experience what they experience. Allow them to go through their own journey. Father, I thank you that we can be a family that you've put together. And Father, I pray my heart was when we planted Rain Christian Church, that it would be a place where people will not judge one another, Father, my heart is today, Father, that this will manifest in this place more than ever before. That people will come and and, and, and from within the safe place of not being judged, come to a place where they can be healed. Father, a place where they can voice whatever they feel, not being judged, but knowing that the moment they voice it, it will fall off in Jesus' name and that they will be healed. Father, I thank you that we that you brought a family together and that we are and where we are strong in one area, we are weak in another. And the other person is strong in that area and weak in another. And because of that, we can come together as a family and together be strong. Father, I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you will move through us, among us and within us and that you will start a healing work today in this place. Father, we come now today against anger in Jesus' name. Love will manifest Father, I pray that we come against um, any form of, of being disappointed. Father, I pray for hope to manifest right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that we can sit before you. That you know anyway what we feel, and you know anyway what we think in our minds. Father, I pray that you will bring us to a safe place where we can voice this, so that we can be set free in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father, for who you are, that you never reject us, that you are greater than our minds, that you are greater than our emotions, Father God, and that nothing that we say can whatsoever change who you are. And I thank you for being who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.